Um, so what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks is uh, the idea of knowing God. Knowing God. And um, this is a great resource. I know that Pastor Brody has uh, pointed this one out to you. This is a wonderful book uh, by um, J.I. Packer. It's actually entitled Knowing God. And it's a gold, it's a gold medallion award winner. Over one million copies sold. So maybe uh, you guys can go on Amazon. I would really in- encourage you to read it. It's, it's really, um, it's been helpful to me. I've been reading it over the past, this past summer. And um, some of the things that I'll say over the next couple weeks uh, really harken back to what Dr. Packer has said here in this book. Um, but in any case, I, want you to, I, have a, I have your, if you don't have a handout, there were some handouts at the, uh, as you first came in. And I have, uh, well, I thought I brought a couple, but I didn't. Feel free to step back and get a few handouts if you need one. Um, because I've, I've tried to give you uh, basically the outline I'm going to follow here. And there's a place where you can actually take some notes if you want. So how might you answer these questions? I'm just going to throw out a few questions. I want you to think about these and uh, think about how you might answer them. What does it mean to know God? Claude, you mentioned earlier in, in your testimony about, your, uh, about how you guys came to know the Lord. You, came that, you used that language of coming to know the Lord. And that's, that's a language that we use a lot. You know, I came to know the Lord when I was a senior in high school. Uh, what does that mean? If someone just off the street comes up to you and says, hey, what does it mean to know God? How do you answer that? Here's another question. How do we come to know Him? How do we come to know God? Uh, Here's an interesting question. Is it possible to know a great deal about God, but actually, but not really know Him? Is it possible to know a lot of facts about this person that we call God and not actually know Him? Yes, exactly. The demons knew who Jesus was. They recognized, you. who are you, son of, you are the son of God. What do you have to do with us? Um... Uh, they believed and they trembled. Sometimes they have one up on us. The demons believe, they tremble. Uh, They're amazed. And as David mentioned earlier, sometimes we can lose our amazement. How much of him can we know? How much can we know of God? And what difference does this knowing make in our day-to-day lives? that are full of stuff. I don't know about you, my, lives are, my life is full of stuff. Full of stuff. Full of people, full of things, full of places I have to be, responsibilities, uh, just burdens that I have, things I carry around with me. Um, what, is, what is knowing God, what difference does it make in our day-to-day lives? Well, I want to uh, speak this morning, uh, especially from the book of Jeremiah. So, this morning we're going to be primarily in Jeremiah, and I'm going to make some, some other references to other uh, scriptures throughout uh, the, our time, but this morning we're going to be primarily in Jeremiah. Next week, we're going to be uh, in the New Testament. We're going to look at the Gospels. We're going to look at a few characters who came, uh, whose lives intersected Christ. We'll look briefly at uh, Zacchaeus, uh, Matthew. We'll look at... Um, uh, Lydia, we're going to look at the Philippian jailer, the Apostle Paul. So that's going to be fun to kind of look and see what happened as they came in contact with the Lord Jesus and, and the gospel. 
And then we're going to talk about three things that knowing God leads to in our lives. So I hope you'll come back for that next week. But this morning we're going to be primarily in Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah was a prophet. Uh, God called him around the year six, around the early 600 BC, 627 BC. And um, Jeremiah was one of the, what we call the major prophets in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you have the major prophets and you have minor prophets. Uh, Jeremiah was definitely one of the major prophets. He has, a, has because the volume of his, uh, his work, his prophecy is quite long. I think there's 51 chapters in the book of Jeremiah. Um, he had a very unpopular message for uh, God's people. It's threefold. Uh, consisted of impending judgment, a call to repentance, and also a, a promise of future grace. A new, what we call the new covenant. Uh, God promised through, the, through Jeremiah uh, future grace, but not before uh, a severe judgment was to come upon his people. So in chapter 1, just by way of context, God calls Jeremiah to preach. And, um, you know, this is that famous passage where uh, in verse 5 it says, Now the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Um, so uh, God calls Jeremiah in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, God begins to confront the sins of Israel, summed up in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. So I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 13. He says, uh, well, I'll start with verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Wow. Think about that. The Lord God says, my people have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. And then secondly, they've cut out, they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they've given themselves over to a life of idolatry. They've transferred their confidence and their trust from the God uh, who created them and formed them and called them as a people to these false gods, to idols. Um, in fact, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 16, you will see where God, as he's uh, interacting with Jeremiah in terms of the content of his message, God says to Jeremiah in chapter six, in 1, verse 16, And I will declare my judgments against them and all their evil in for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of of their own hands. So I think that gives a little clarity to, to 2.13 um, uh, in, in just more concrete language. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. Uh, in chapter 3 verses, uh, well chapter 3 on through the beginning of chapter 4, God begins to call his people to return to him. So as you, as, you, as you read chapter 3 and into 4 of Jeremiah, you're going to find 
God saying over and over, return to me, return to me, return to me. Return to me, faithless Israel. Return to me, faithless sons, and I will heal you. Return to me, and I will heal you. So that's the basic message of, of uh, chapter 3 and in the, to, on into chapter 4. And then in chapter 4, through uh, roughly through 9.22, uh, you find Jeremiah basically lamenting and weeping. Jeremiah has a, what's Jeremiah known as in the, the weeping prophet. They call Jeremiah the weeping prophet because as you read through the book, you see him oftentimes in tears. He talks about how his eyes are just flowing with tears. And, um, and, and honestly, Jeremiah is a tough read. It's a tough read. I mean, if you like tragedies, then you might enjoy Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is a, has a tragic book. Uh, although there is embedded in it a certain hope and a future grace promised from God. But the, the thrust of Jeremiah is quite tragic. So he begins to lament over Israel. And uh, God proclaims the coming judgment. He begins to expound upon the depth of darkness to which his people had fallen. And check it out. Read, read this afternoon. Go read Je- Jeremiah and check out some of this imagery that he uses uh, as he talks about his faithless people. It's, I mean, it's, it's quite insulting. It's, it's hardcore. It's down to earth. And um, so that's basically what's going on in chapters 4 through 9. Now, the theme of knowing God is actually quite prominent in Jeremiah. Uh, although it's a lot of times it's in the negative where God says they refuse to know me or they know me not or some language like that. Um, look at, uh, cha- well, you, we've seen it already in chapter 1 where, uh, Jer- where God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. But how's that for an introduction? Before, hey, hey Jeremiah, I'm the Lord. And before I knew, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I already had a plan laid out for your life. Look at 2 verse 8. Look at 2 verse 8. Now here's one uh, where the Lord says, he kind of uses it in a negative. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law, what? Did not know me. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? Of all people who need to be saying, where's the Lord? It's the people who handle His Word. It's those who are responsible to shepherd God's people. They, above all people, are the ones who need to be on their faces and on their knees and in the book saying, okay, Lord, what is your will? Who are you? What what is your plan for us? What are you saying to us? But God said, those who handle the law did not know me. And the shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by by Baal. And they went after things that do not profit. And then uh, if you flip over to Jeremiah 31, uh, where we begin to read about the new covenant, um, I'll begin reading in, in in verse 33. 
where we read this, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall what? All know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So you see, you see that the theme of knowing God is, is fairly prominent in, in the work of Jeremiah. Now our verse this morning, our key verse is chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, which serves really as a context, in context as another yet another call to repentance for God's people. But as you read this verse and meditate on it, it seems to have a, a universal flavor. It seems to have a transcendent feel to it. Um, you get a sense that it's not only directed at Israel and Judah, but that it's directed to all of God's people in all time. Not only to them, but to all of mankind, really, including us, including ourselves. So let's read this. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Can I have someone read that? Would someone like to read that for us? That would be awesome. Let's get someone to read. All right, Steve. Yes, 23 and 24, D Jeremiah chapter 9. Thank you. Thank you. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I want to give you three uh, important observations, I believe, from verse 24. We'll go, we're going to go back to verse 23, but uh, quickly I want to give you three important observations from verse 24. And some of these may seem simple, they may seem obvious. They're probably not the most profound observations, but I think, they're, I think you'll find them helpful. At least I hope you will. And the first observation is this, is that God wants to be known. God wants to be known. He isn't, he isn't a, a deity that's, who wants to be shrouded in mystery. God doesn't take any pleasure in hiding from His creation or from hiding from us. He doesn't want to be shrouded in mystery and darkness. And He doesn't want us to, to have to speculate about who He is or about His character. He wants to be known. And uh, secondly, uh, well, and, and, and in fact, He wants us to be known and He's done so by revealing Himself to us, right? Right? 
He re, he's revealed to himself to he's reveals to himself himself to us in creation. He reveals himself to us in the, his word, and most importantly, in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. He reveals himself to us. But God wants to be known. And then number two, uh, and I'll put a, a little bit of a sharper point on that. And these are, this is his, his own words. He wants us to understand and know him. Two hundred. I'm, I'm, when I think about that, what that means, it reminds me of what you said, David. It amazes me that the most significant being in a million worlds wants me to understand and know him. I mean, I'm like the psalmist. I'm like, Lord, who am I? What is man that you would be mindful of him? But God wants us to know and understand him. That, what a profound privilege that is for us here in 2023 in Lynchburg, Virginia. He wants us to understand and know him. And I think the implication, uh, it seems to be like an, an intimate familiarity. Not just a knowing about. Yeah, I know about so-and-so. I know about so-and-so. I know so-and-so from, from the internet, from the Facebook or, or whatever. But he, he wants us to be intimately familiar with him. Uh, to have the ability to know how he works in the world. I want to know how God works in the world. And he wants us to know how he works in the world and in our lives. He wants us to know what he loves. He wants us to know what he delights in so that we could join him in delighting in those things. Isn't that beautiful? What a privilege. What a privilege. This is, this is the God who spoke and the world came into existence. The, the, the universe came to be. He said, let there be light and there was light. And then he turns around and he says, I want to know you. Isn't that amazing? May God give us a fresh sense of amazement. May he give us a fresh sense of, of amazement at his grace and, his, and the privilege that he's given to us to know him. And listen, I don't care how old you are in here. It doesn't matter if you're 12. It doesn't matter if you're 112. This God, his words apply to every one of us here in every season of our lives. Now, um, here's the thing. In order to, to really know and understand someone, like Claude, you could, I know I could ask you about your wife. and uh, Claude, what makes her tick? And you'd be like, okay, well, let me, let me just tell you. Right? We use this language of, oh, I know what makes him or her tick. You know, I know what they're all about. I know how they're going to respond in a certain situation. There's only one way to get to know that about a person. And what is that? To spend time with them. Interact with them. Right? There has to be some interaction with them. And so that's what we have to have um, in terms of our relationship with God. We, and we're going to know Him. We're going to understand and know Him. Then we have to have interaction. Uh, actual interaction with Him. Otherwise, we may just be limited to knowing about him. We could be like Peter, following at a distance. Um, and then the third observation I want to give you quickly is that knowing him is worth far more 
than the sum of all of our human achievements. The privilege of knowing our God and Creator and Redeemer is worth far more than all of our human achievements put together. Think about that. Why? Because He is the fountain of living waters. He's the source of all life for us. All right, let's move to the next section. And I want to talk a little bit about brains, bodies, and bank accounts. Boasting in the wrong thing. Brains, now the Bible doesn't use that language of, of brains, bodies, and bank accounts. Um, but I thought I'd try to give us something that we could sort of hang our hat on and remember it. Put the old, all B's there, you know, B, 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 B. Um, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. That would be our brains. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, our bodies, or our, really, I think what he has in mind here is our position of authority. Any authority or power or influence that we might have. Certainly that would have been true in Jeremiah's day as he spoke to the kings of not only um, Judah and Israel, but to those around in the surrounding uh, countries and nations. And not, let not the rich man boast in his riches. So in the first part of verse 23, God points out a triad of things that, that, uh, that really what they do is they fuel human pride. They fuel human pride. And so the triad would be uh, wisdom, strength, and riches. Now, not that there's anything inherently sinful about any of these things. But God has pointed these out and said, he's, he's, he's given us a warning here. In fact, he's given us a command. Let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. So, um, or our might, or our riches. You know, it's interesting that um, as wonderful as these things are, who doesn't want wisdom? Who doesn't want to be strong? Who doesn't want to have some influence of some type uh, in the world? And of course, who wants to be dirt poor, right? We all want to have, at, at the very uh, ground floor, we want to have our needs provided for. Um, God has actually gone far beyond that for, for most of us here. Um, but they can fool us into believing the wrong things about ourselves. They can make us feel overconfident about ourselves and our accomplishments. And we have to be careful about that. Pride, and especially we can get a sense of self-sufficiency. Um, these things become high priority items for us. And according to this passage, they're really too high. Too high of a priority. So uh, wisdom, might, and riches can, can tempt an unbeliever to say, I don't need God. I have all that I need. I have all, I've got, I've got my education, I've got plenty of money, and um, I'm set. I don't, I don't really need him, right? But they can also tempt us as believers as well to a sense of self-sufficiency. They can tempt us to, to feel less of a need for him, that we might not be as dependent on him as we actually are. They can create an, an, illusor, an illusory sort of environment in our souls and in our minds that, well, it's all right if I don't pray today. 
It's okay if I skip the Word today. It's okay if I don't really speak to the Lord throughout the day as I go through my day. I'm good. You know, I'm set. I've got plenty of money in the bank. Um, you know, my family's in good shape and, you know, I've got my degrees and all this. That's foolish. In fact, um, it's, it's an illusion. And I think uh, we'll talk about this a little bit next week. The Apostle Paul calls that putting confidence in the flesh. Well, that's, that's the, in Philippians 3, you'll find that language where Paul says, but we are those who are the, worship God by the Spirit and put no confidence in the flesh. But listen, let's be honest with ourselves. It's very easy to start putting confidence in the flesh, isn't it? It's very easy for us to start putting our, our, our hope and our dependence upon uh, the things that we have. But Scripture warns us against uh, overvaluing wisdom, power, and money. Romans, what does Romans one twenty two say? Uh, proclaiming themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. Fools. Um, Isaiah 40, 6 through 8, tells us in a nutshell that all flesh is grass. How do you like that? You know, we, we studied, uh, uh, what was the psalm we studied recently? That he knows our frame that we are dust. And then Isaiah says to us, our flesh is just grass. It's here today, comes up overnight, and tomorrow it's going to be burned. Right? There's, such a tr- there's a transient nature to our lives. And then James uh, speaks about that as well in James 4, 13 through 17, where he basically says, look, you guys, your life is a vapor. Your life is a vapor. So whatever you plan to do, you need to put this caveat, attach this caveat to it, if it be the Lord's will. If it be the Lord's will, we'll do this and we'll do that. You know, all of our degrees and our learning, all of our internet, our electricity, our our nuclear power, uh, our global uh, network that we have, all the fancy and and amazing things, the the medical progress that we've made in the past hundred years, uh, all of that stuff is temporary. It's temporary. All of our positions of authority, our, our material accumulations, they're going to quickly fade away one way or another. Either they're going to fade away from us or we're going to fade away from them. Right? Um, they can be taken away from us. One car accident. One, one heart attack. One stroke. Uh, one storm. And we could be... Uh, back to prehistoric times you know we can be without power go without power for we can go without power for a few hours but try a few days try a week two weeks a month without power and ultimately these are things that God gives us that uh, he can also take away therefore boasting about them is short-sighted and foolish that's why he says you're boasting in the wrong thing Don't boast in these things. Don't take shelter in these things. Don't put confidence in these things. Rather, boast in the right thing. Look again at verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this. You know, all boasting is not sinful. There is is a form of... Actually, I would argue with you that we are created to celebrate. God made us with an impulse to celebrate and to boast. 
The problem is in our fallen nature, we celebrate and we boast about the wrong things, you see. He wants us to, to, to express great joy passionately, but only about the right things. And here is, here's an epicenter of one of the, of the things that we were made to boast in. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Just think about that. Let him who boasts. And the implication is boast. Boast. But boast in this. That you understand and know me. That I am the Lord. And I'm not only just the Lord... I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and, right, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You know, boasting involves glory. There's, there's, a, there's an intersection, there's an overlap of boasting and glory. Uh, glorifying an object. When we glorify something, we make much of it. We, we talk about it a lot. Um, we delight in it. Like, uh, for example, strawberry milkshakes. I love strawberry milk. I had one last night. We went to the Southern Creamery. And uh, I'm a creature of habit. If it doesn't matter if we go to Mr. Goody's or the Southern Creamery or uh, what's that other place? Monkey Joe's. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to get a strawberry milkshake. I love them. If you invite us over to your house, you want to have ice cream? I love strawberry milkshakes. Um, you know, we, we, make a lot, we make much of things. Uh, we, we see them as a source of satisfaction and delight. Enjoy. There's nothing. I mean, okay, I won't say there's nothing, but strawberry milkshakes make me happy. I love French fries and ketchup. That stuff makes me happy. A big, who can, who can uh, turn down a big, fat, juicy burger? You know, from a, a corner burger. They have pretty good burgers. It's to, you know, boasting and glorifying something is to, means to sing praises of, of a person or a thing. In a sense, I do this with my wife. She didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I boast in her a lot. I boast about her a lot. She's amazing to me. I love her. She's, she's got so many talents and so many skills. And she, I, just, I delight in her. She is a source of true joy for me. And I can honestly say that. But here's the thing. She can't be my ultimate source of joy and satisfaction. That would be asking way too much of her. She wasn't created for that. What do you delight in? What do you like to boast in? Is there anything that you like to just say, oh man, I love this. I love doing this. I love having this. Whatever it might be. You know, it's easy to, to you can put anything. You can put ministry in this. You can put ministry in this. Just fill in the blank. Ministry, my retirement, my grandkids, my kids, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my wife. You, you just fill in the blank. But here's the thing. This place of boasting only belongs to one person in our lives. One person. And that is the one who is supremely faithful and steadfast in love. The one who is perfect in all his ways. The one who is holy and righteous beyond our measure. 
That place of boasting belongs to Him because He's the blazing glory of all holiness and joy and life. No one can make you happier than the Lord. No one can make you happier than Him. He's the one true, eternal, self-existent, all-wise, all-powerful, all-sufficient, triune God who has revealed Himself to us in the person of Christ. That amazes me. And He says, let the one who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me. Let him glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. You know, Jesus said in, in John 17, you know, John 17 is that portion of Scripture that we call the high priestly prayer. Every word of it is gold. But in John 17, 3, Jesus says this, this is eternal life. That they may what? Have a great church to go to? That they may dress up nicely on Sunday morning? That they may have a really nice car? That they may have a really nice job? That they may have wonder, all the pieces to their lives are in, are in place? No. This is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Oh man, I love that. That's worth memorizing right there. <laughs> That's worth memorizing. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul said in Philippians 3, everything I had, I had uh, accumulated, all my accolades, all my training, all my degrees, all my titles, all my trophies. You can have it all. That's what Paul said. You can have it all. Just take it all. Because I met this guy in Jesus. He literally knocked me off of a horse. And now I have one purpose and one goal and one vision. I want to know Him. That's what he said. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I want to know Him. You can take all these other things. I want to know the Lord. I want to know Christ. And the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. All right. Well, I pray that God will work in our hearts. That that would be our one goal. And our one vision. And our one purpose. To know Him. To know Him as the fountain of living water because guess what? That's going to create a point in your life that's going to be like a reservoir. And it's going to flow out and it's going to impact other people. And that's what we'll talk about next week. So let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You so much for the privilege, for the invitation to know You. You have invited us from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Come to me. And so, Lord, that's what we want. We want to, we want to know you. Many, many of us in here, we've been Christians for a long time. And just like we've been married, some of us have been married for a long time. 
and it's easy to become just a little bit too familiar with you. We can lose our amazement. We can lose our zeal. We can lose our fascination. We can lose our, uh, our sense of being drawn to you by your beauties, by your grace, by your perfections. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us do a work in our hearts and stir up in our hearts a fresh sense of delight in you, a fresh sense of, of zeal for you. Lord, may this be the, the, the song of our heart that we want to know you, that we want to understand you. Lord, if we've drifted apart from you, I pray if any of my brothers or sisters here this morning have wandered off, if their hearts have grown cold, if, we, if any of us have begun to put our confidence in the flesh or put our trust in our own wisdom or our own, our own strength, our own abilities and our own accumulations. I pray that you would just wean us off of those things and bring us back to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.